From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, President Biden, Senate Democrat Leader Chuck Schumer, and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin met yesterday morning at the president's Delaware home. And reports are an agreement could be reached this week on President Biden's Build Government Bigger plan. Earlier today, the president was speaking about his Build Back Better agenda, stating whatever the cost, it was paid for. You hear these numbers, 3.5 trillion or 1.75 trillion? We pay for it all. It doesn't increase the deficit one single cent. So let's get to work. We'll get the latest from Washington Times reporter Harris Alec on what the agreement might look like and how is it going to be paid for. Also on Friday, the U.S. State Department admitted to Congress that there are hundreds of Americans still in Afghanistan that won out. We'll get the latest from Texas Congressman Pat Fallon, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. And last week, we spoke with the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, about the record surge at the southern border this year and who's coming across. Is a larger surge of illegal immigrants on their way? And Panama officials identify al-Qaeda suspects heading to the U.S. among the immigrants. We'll talk with Chuck Holton, a freelance reporter working with CBN News covering the migrants. And the coarsening of our public discourse. Is it Donald Trump's fault, as the Washington Post suggests? We'll talk about it later here on Washington Watch. And finally, as we've been discussing, almost nonstop education and the indoctrination of our children has become a top, if not the top, political issue. It certainly is an issue in Virginia where former President Obama campaigned over the weekend for Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic candidate for governor. He's claiming the issue of education is all manufactured. Well, Dr. Ben Carson was also in Virginia recently campaigning for Glenn Youngkin, the Republican candidate for governor. And I don't think he believes it's a manufactured issue. He believes it's a make or break issue for our country. He joins us later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, you can find it all later, archived at TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I mentioned, President Biden, Senator Joe Manchin, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer met in the president's Delaware home yesterday to find an agreement on the Democrats' social spending spree that previously had a price tag of $3.5 trillion, but it is now looking like it's going to be below $2 trillion. Joining me now to talk about the latest on the president's Build Government Bigger plan is Washington Times reporter Al Harris Alec, uh, who covers Congress and energy issues. Harris, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me on, Tony. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. I, um, I'm very excited to talk to you about this uh, plan because it's actually one of the biggest that's probably ever going to be passed in Congress if they do end up getting it through. Looks like right now it's going to be $2.2 trillion. That's significantly lower than $3.5 trillion. But I think most Americans would agree with you and I that $2.2 trillion of taxpayer money is still a significant amount. Uh, right now it looks like this bill is going to include um, a, a brand new billionaire's tax that would impose taxes on uh, untaxed gains like real estate, art, uh, property investments, things that would you would necessarily tax uh, potentially after being sold. That's going to be taxed now. Also included in this plan is going to be about four weeks of paid family leave, uh, the child care tax credit, which gives $3,600 to families 
per year is going to be extended for another year. And um, also there will be new child care subsidies. As of right now, obviously, uh, President Biden keeps saying, well, this deal is all paid for. There are no exact issues here. But one of the big reasons why it's taken him almost nine months to be able to hammer out some sort of compromise here is because uh, Senator uh, Kirsten Sienema, a moderate Democrat from Arizona, is not in favor of raising uh, corporate income and um, the tax rate on top earners. So this uh, argument that the Biden administration is making this plan is 100 percent paid for, uh, that's totally ludicrous simply because the fact that it's taking them nine months to figure out exactly how they're going to pay for it. It's going to cost about $2.2 trillion. It's significantly a massive amount of money. It looks like now the uh, it looks like now the Trump era tax cuts are going to remain intact, but there's going to be a new billionaire's tax. There's also going to be new enforcement proceedings allowing the IRS access to uh, any bank account that has uh, more than $10,000 in transactions annually. So this is going to cause audits to uh, massively jump up. So this is one of the things that's really going to be huge in the next uh, few weeks. And it looks like Democrats are finally becoming realistic and understanding that they weren't going to get $3.5 trillion. Maybe they're going to get $2.2 trillion, but there's still a long way to go on this. Well, as you mentioned, Nancy Pelosi was um, mentioned this is the largest ever. Nancy Pelosi was crowing about that over the weekend, that even if it's half of the 3.5, it's still the largest initiative that Congress has ever passed uh, like this. So it, it is huge. I, I want to go to the point uh, there were those holding out uh, on the tax uh, plan, the tax cuts that were put in place during President Trump's. You say those stay in place. Will that help offset some of the economic impact of this uh, tax? I don't think so, because as we've seen, I mean, inflation is already skyrocketing. Uh, if you're making about $45,000 a year in January, you're making significantly less now, even though, you're, even though your, your paycheck um, supposedly is staying the same. I think most Americans are realizing that when it comes time to meeting their bills, when it comes time to paying for gas at the pump, uh, that their dollar is getting significantly less and less value. I think that's one of the things that has to be taken in, into account here is this is a $2.2 trillion plan. Uh, they're going to raise taxes. They're going to institute new regulations that are going to make energy costs significantly higher. Um, they're also going to institute a lot of new government programs that will have to be paid for. So even though there, there are some offsets and even though Washington Democrats are arguing in favor of uh, potentially keeping taxes low on people making under $400,000, the policies they're pushing with this administration have already caused taxes on people making well over that amount um, to grow. And, you know, there's a, there's that old Reagan line that uh, taxes aren't necessarily just judged based on rates. They're also judged on policies that make your uh, wallets shrink. And this administration is shrinking a lot of wallets right now, Tony. So, Harris, final question for you. Do they get to an agreement on that, uh, on the whole package this week? Because also in tandem is the infrastructure, the $1.2 trillion. Does all of that get voted on this week? Well, that's the plan right now. I'm not 100 percent sure if that's actually going to be able to last. Um, as we know, on October 31st, there's a deadline that will come to pass for uh, highway uh, transportation funding. And congressional Democrats are really pushing in favor of this infrastructure bill to be done then. But progressives like Senator Bernie Sanders are holding it up because they want this $2.2 trillion massive partisan spending bill to go through. Uh, I mean, I've covered this bill from its beginning, uh, at the beginning of this year, and I can tell you that I've heard so many deadlines come and go. Uh, back in August, uh, Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer was saying, well, you know, we want to have something done by the end of August. They wanted to have something done by the end of September. Now it's the end of October. Um, I don't think they're going to get this done in time. You know, if they 
do. It'll be a miracle in all Italy because a lot of progressives end up paving on some of the things they fought for. Uh, but I think this this package still faces very, very long odds. It's not to say, you know, uh, nothing is, is possible because miracles do always happen, but um, it does certainly face long odds. All right. Uh, Harris, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Great to talk with you. Always a pleasure, Tony. Thank you. All right. Harris, Alec with uh, Washington Times. Well, my prayer is that clock runs out and it doesn't happen because the uh, the clock is ticking. All right. Well, during a briefing provided to congressional staff on Friday, State Department officials admitted that they are in touch with at least 363 Americans and about 176 legal permanent residents, all who are stuck in Afghanistan. That's just the ones they've been in touch with. That's far fewer than the 100 that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin had said uh, were there uh, still in Afghanistan who wanted out when he testified last month. What is the administration's current best estimate of the number of Americans that are in Afghanistan? Uh, Senator, uh, according to, uh, to state, there are currently fewer than 100 American citizens who want to depart and are ready to leave. Well, joining me now to talk about the Biden administration's latest admission is Congressman Pat Fallon, who is member, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, sir. So are, are you surprised about this admission that there are now more than 100 that are in Afghanistan and one out, probably much more, uh, but those uh, others are not in contact with the U.S. State Department. Well, you know, Tony, this administration has proven one thing. If they start, they, they first start by just ignoring an issue. It doesn't matter how severe or, you know, dire it is. Then they'll deflect, and then they obfuscate, and then they'll just spit out falsehoods. And then only then, when they're caught, well, they admit the truth. So right now we're looking at, like you usually said, about 363 American citizens, just under 200 permanent residents that went out. That number is not 100. That number is 500. Uh, and it doesn't surprise me um, because they just hope against hope that their media allies won't expose the truth. Now, Congressman, the uh, Ned Price State Department spokesman said uh, they, they would not confirm how many Americans were in touch with the State Department in total. But they said that the number of people wanting to leave has grown uh, because they were disappointed with what's happening in Afghanistan. Do you buy that? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Anybody that had been living in Afghanistan knows who the Taliban are, who they were, and who they you know, are going to be. These are folks that were shooting women in the head for reading, for conjugating verbs, for going to school. Anybody that dares, you know, not share their strict view uh, and specific view of Islam will be repressed. So, no, it's nothing new. And it's just, again, more obfuscation from this Biden regime. I mean, when you see the timeline here on August the 30th, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said, quote, we believe there are still a small number of Americans under 200 and likely closer to 100 who remain in Afghanistan and want to leave. August 31st, President Biden said, now we believe that about 100 to 200 Americans remain in Afghanistan with some intention to leave. September 5th, his chief of staff said, we believe it's around 100. We're in touch with all of them. Then September the 10th, Secretary of State, uh, the State Department Deputy Spokesman 
Uh, Porter said, so again, the situation on the ground is really fluid and about 100 in that number that we have of U.S. citizens. So it, it, they continue to say the same thing. Does this call into question any type of intel or fact that we get from this administration when it comes to their foreign policy? You have to suspect it because, you're, you know, they're breaching trust here. Look at what, remember, Tony, I mean, this is propaganda. This is not information. Uh, the drone strike was another perfect example. I got to ask directly Secretary Austin and General Milley about that. I mean, Milley called it a righteous strike three days later, although um, his CENTCOM commander admitted five or six hours later that they knew that innocent folks had been killed. And then they wouldn't answer as to when they knew that the, the, the entire thing was botched. So they go with a lie, and they repeat it enough times to where they think it just will. You know, it's kind of like baloney against the wall, except lives are at stake. So uh, we're up against a break, Congressman, but what's next? What needs to happen now? Well, we need to, I, again, with the Democrats controlling all levers of government, it's difficult to get them to move forward. But I think in another hearing to where we can really hold their feet to the fire and expose the truth to the American people. Yeah, uh, Congressman Fallon, I think you're absolutely right. The, the fact that we're getting this information, even though it is delayed, is because members of the minority in Congress, the Republicans, won't let up. And they keep asking the questions until finally they get answers. So we appreciate you asking those questions and appreciate you coming on Washington Watch today. Thanks, Tony. God bless you. Take care. All right. Uh, coming up, there seems to be no end in sight for the crisis at the southern border. What is in sight, however, are tens of thousands more migrants on their way. We'll get a firsthand account after the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch still to come. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and to the truth of God's word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. 
Register online at prevotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and the website is TonyPerkins.com. More than 1.7 million illegal immigrants were detained at the southern border during the 2021 fiscal year, and that ended uh, in September. Now, that, uh, according to new Custom and Border Protection data released last week, that tops the previous high of 1.64 million detained in 2000 and eclipses the 540,000 annual average between 2012 and 2020. Now, we talked about this last week with the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. But if that's not bad enough, more immigrants are on their way. CBN News has reported witnessing firsthand a wave of Haitians headed to the U.S. even bigger, bigger than the 15,000-plus that we've seen in recent weeks. Joining me now to talk about this and more, freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton. Chuck, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. It's good to see you. So uh, tell us what you've seen. Uh, They're making their way to the southern border. Oh, they are. Uh, The numbers coming through, you have to understand, when, when Haitians leave Haiti, what they do is go through uh, South America and then come up through Colombia and walk through the Darien Gap between Colombia and Panama into Panama and then make their way north. And so uh, the Panama is kind of a choke point for these extracontinental migrants, not just Haitians, but people from all over the globe that are coming through. And it's a good place to count them. So what we're seeing in Haiti is the numbers continuing to rise to the point where it's just crushing that small country uh, and, and their ability to even take care of these people. They're getting to the point now where they have something like 600 to 1,000 a day coming through. That's an annual number. What it uh, used to be used to be in, in the thousands per per year, and now we're seeing uh, something like 25 to 30,000 a month. Now, Chuck, as you've been there and you've witnessed this and you've talked to those there on the ground, what is propelling them to come to the southern border of the United States? That's a really good question because the vast majority, actually virtually all of the people that I spoke with coming through the border, uh, as, uh, we've, we've been following this for months now, they did not leave Haiti yesterday. They did not leave Cuba yesterday. These people have been... Uh, in other countries, they, they left 
Haiti and Cuba because of the persecution, the war, the you know, whatever. And they went to other countries in Latin America where they've been making a living for something like four or five years. And they're only now deciding to come to the United States because Joe Biden is president and they know they can get in. So it's they are 100 percent economic migrants. The, the, the left likes to try to make the case that these are migrants that are fleeing war and oppression. Well, they're not because they have to cross through sometimes nine or ten other countries that are not facing war and oppression, that are not oppressing them, that are not, uh, you know, killing them or anything like that. And in many cases, most cases, in fact, they've been working and making a living for years in places like Chile and Ecuador and Brazil before they decided to come to the United States. And they're only now coming because they know the southern border is open. So the open border is attracting those migrants that are coming here and the crisis yeah. it has been created because of the open border policy. Absolutely. This is a 100 percent man-made crisis, and it's been made by the Biden administration opening the border. They've had more than 19,000 children dragged through the Darien Gap. That's a six-day walk with no food. It's very dangerous. Many people die along the way. Probably about one in ten die. And 19,000 children have been counted coming through uh, this year so far, and that's specifically because U.S. foreign policy now includes that if you show up at our southern border with a child, you're allowed to come right in. You don't go to detention. You're, you're just let right into the country. And so children are being used as a ticket to get into the United States, and it's causing a lot of suffering and death of those children along the way. Doesn't sound too compassionate to, to me. Uh, talking about counting, last week we had on the program the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. He was talking about, you know, in mixed in with these migrants are those who get across who are not detained and have, um, well, they have ill purposes. Uh, they come here to do harm to America. Panamanian authorities say that they've actually detected and been able to identify uh, al-Qaeda suspects in the numbers passing through their country. Tell us about that. That's right. 52 so far this year have come up on a, a, a terror watch list that they, they are some in some way affiliated with al-Qaeda. And that's uh, now this is not actually Panamanian authorities catching these guys. This is American authorities in Panama because the United States Border Patrol has a station in Panama. And as these migrants come through, like I said, it's a choke point. The, the Pan-American Highway picks up on the north side of the Darien Gap in Panama and goes right up to the United States. So. Uh, there is a place, for example, where there's a huge lake and the Pan-American Highway goes right across the middle of the lake. There's not really any easy way around that. And so what happens is the U.S. Border Patrol agents in Panama uh, pick, go to these camps where the migrants are and they do biometric testing on the migrants uh, on every one of them. And in that way, they're able to pick up uh, these people who are on terror watch list. But the really scary thing is that so many of these people are not on any list at all. They, they come in, they don't have a passport, or they have it, but they, they hide it. Uh, and they, they could say that they're from any country at all. We don't know what country they're from. We don't know wh what their intentions are uh, at all. And uh, we're talking about people from Afghanistan and Syria and Bangladesh and Indonesia and Somalia and all over Africa. 
And again, the vast majority, 99% of these people are economic migrants, but it would be very, very easy for people to come in who don't have any biometric history floating around out there because they grew up in Syria, for example, with ill intent and get into the United States. Uh, fascinating. It's just cur I'm just curious as to why we're not hearing about that. If this is U.S. Uh, U.S. agencies that are detaining or identifying these individuals, why that's not being reported here in the United States? It's, yeah, uh, they're not. They're, uh, they are being um, specifically told that they cannot uh, share that information. They cannot talk about that information, and that's because the Biden administration does not want that information getting out. Uh, during the Trump administration, it was much more common to go right. down there and. I mean, just just to give you an example, I could go down there during the Trump administration and walk up to the Border Patrol guy and say, hey, what are you guys seeing down here? And he would tell me everything. Hey, Chuck, we're going to have to we're, we're up against a break. We're going to have to leave okay. it there. Thanks for joining us. Fascinating information. We'll be in touch uh, again soon. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily? but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start, or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Over the weekend, the Washington Post ran with an article by reporters Ashley Parker and Carissa Wolf entitled, quote, Biden's critics hurl increasingly vulgar taunts, end quote. Now, believe it or not, I agree. Now, I'm certainly... I'm certain that the, the catalyst for this piece was the uh, the birth of the chant attributed to the well-wishers of the NASCAR racer Brandon Brown. 
Oh my God, it's just such an unbelievable moment. Brandon, you also told me as you heard the chance from the, the crowd. Let's go, Brandon. Now, I have to admit, I did find the interpretation of the chant a bit amusing, not for the profanity directed at Joe Biden, but the origins of the phrase and the cottage industry that has sprung up overnight to support it. And I'll address the chant in just a moment. But first, let me go back to the piece in The Washington Post. As I said, I agree with the title, but that's where the agreement ends. The piece was, a, was uh, sold as news, but like most legacy media, these days. It was far from objective journalism. It was nothing more than an opinion piece masquerading as news. The coarsening of our public discourse is a reflection of the underlying coarsening of our culture, brought on by our nation's moral and spiritual decline. The vulgarity that the media all of a sudden became sensitive to is not the result of Donald Trump, as Parker and Wolf advocate in their piece. Quote, the vit vitriol partly reflects Trump's own repeated baseless claims that Biden is a usurper, depriving him of his rightful claim to the presidency, and partly stems from Biden's actions that Republicans deplore, from his spending plans to his immigration policies, end quote. I won't address the slanted and leading language, but, but I will ask this question. Who gave oxygen to the baseless charge of a Russian collusion in the 2016 election? A charge, by the way, that was shredded by the facts, facts the media either didn't want to report or were too lazy to pursue. It could be the media was too busy covering statements of leading Democrats like the late John Lewis, the congressman from Georgia, whose name is now on the Democrats' attempt to federalize elections. Lewis, who, was, who joined the more than 50 Democrats in boycotting the inauguration of President Trump in January of 2017, said on Meet the Press just prior to the swearing-in that, quote, I don't see him, Donald Trump, as a legitimate president because the Russians helped him get elected, end quote. Well, the media continued to give this Russian hoax lift all the way up to the 2020 election, only to move on without apology or explanation when the facts were made public. Parker and Wolf went on to blame Trump for the now commonplace vulgarity in our public discourse, quote, Yet the anger also demonstrates how a political party or cause often needs an enemy, a target of vilification that can unite its adherents, and in this case, one refracted through the harshness, norm-breaking, and vulgarity of the Trump era, end quote. Again, there is an element of agreement. Trump on a few occasions used profanity at public events, which was disturbing and unpresidential. In fact, on two occasions, I immediately called the president's chief of staff and asked to speak to the president about his inappropriate language, making it very clear it was not acceptable. But Parker and Wolf's opinion piece would lead one to believe that Trump is the only one to have ever used profanity in public. Did they forget then Vice President Joe Biden's celebratory statement when Obamacare passed? This is a big blank deal. Again, I agree with the laments of the post-opinion piece, but not their conclusion as to the cause for the coarsened political discourse in our country. More than anything, I believe it is the media that is driving the bitter divide. There was a time when the two sides had dialogue and debate, and the media covered it objectively, or at least with an appearance of objectivity. Today, the left has overrun the press. In fact, they are held hostage to the left, and the media has become the opposition party to conservative ideas and conservative leaders, shutting down discussion and debate. The media is silencing the conservative voices with which they disagree. 
absence the ability to openly debate ideas, opinions, and values. Frustrated voices have become shrill and the divide even greater. The unfortunate language and chants used to communicate frustration with the Biden administration's failed policies are less about Donald Trump's impiety and more about the media's bias. Now for the chant. This seemingly humorous chant is not something Christians can or should support. It demeans the office and further undermines the strength of our form of Republican government. But most importantly, it violates the teaching of Scripture. The Bible instructs us to pray for those in leadership, not curse them with profanity. Look, I understand more than most the frustration with this president and his failed policies that are wrecking the economy, endangering the nation, attacking our freedoms, and undermining the family. I get it. But that does not negate the instruction of God's word. First Timothy 2 says, Therefore I exhort first of all those supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. We need to pray. We need to pray for our nation and for our leaders. Don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, in weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. 
These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAN to 67742. Again, text STAN to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, we've been talking about this uh, pretty much nonstop, the issue of education. It's become the, I think, the top issue in politics because parents have had an opportunity to see what is happening in the classrooms of America through the pandemic when uh, learning went online and parents did what they should have been doing all along. They got involved in their parent, their children's education. They began to see the indoctrination that was taking place. Well, over the weekend, in the gubernatorial race in Virginia, uh, that is neck and neck, education has become the top issue. Uh, and on Saturday, former President uh, Barack Obama was there campaigning for the Democratic candidate, Terry McAuliffe. And in his comments, he said that, uh, look, don't listen to this. Uh, I'm paraphrasing but that this education issue is a manufactured issue. Of course, we've seen what's been happening in Leesburg and and Loudoun County, uh, where the crazy transgender policies have led to girls being assaulted in the bathrooms. We have teachers that are protesting the uh, indoctrination with the critical race theory and the forced use of pronouns. Is this a manufactured issue? Well, joining me now to talk more about this is Dr. Ben Carson, founder and chairman of the American Cornerstone Institute, former secretary of housing and urban development. He, too, was in Virginia recently talking about the education issue. Dr. Carson, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. It's always wonderful to be with you. Well, I'm just talking about this. Well, it's a big issue for you because uh, you are uh, you've got coming out very soon the first book for the uh, Little Patriots program, and this is an educational program to to help children know about the the Judeo-Christian values, the founding of America, and why America is an exceptional nation. So let's just take that, talk about that for a moment, then let's talk about how this has real-world application with what we're watching right now in public education. Well, why Little Patriots is so important is because uh, it was Vladimir Lenin who said, commit your children to teach for four years, and the seeds that I've sown will never be uprooted. 
So getting into our educational system and being able to indoctrinate our kids is an essential part of changing our society. And we want to combat that. Uh, so we have uh, the book that you just mentioned that uh, beautiful illustrations just to help children know that this is a good place that we live in, not a bad place, uh, with a wonderful history and that if we work together, we can accomplish great things. But also there's an online learning program for uh, K through five. And, uh, you know, unlike the, unlike the critical race theory people, we want people to go to our website, uh, littlepatriotslearning.com and go and look at what we're teaching those children. Uh, they'll be very proud and uh, understand not only the workings of our government, but why it was put together the way it is and how we as citizens can uh, be partakers, not only the fruits, but can be contributors as well. So Why America Matters, it's a, a children's book about uh, the Judeo-Christian values of America and, and, and our founding as a nation. and. This kind of it, it, it's, it talks about the four pillars, the importance of these four pillars of the American Cornerstone Institute, which is faith, liberty, community and life. So how can folks find out more about this book? How can they get it? It's coming out, I think, in November, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. How, how can they get uh, a copy? Uh, AmericanCornerstone.org. Uh, go there and order your copies today. And you can also get copies of it through littlepatriotslearning.com. You can go either direction. And uh, I think it's going to make a big difference. We've already shown it to a lot of children. They absolutely love it. Parents love it. Grandparents love it. And it's going to be the first in a series of books. We have one coming out soon about different occupations and why each of those occupations is important. So I... I I know you're you have a little you're you're a little bias. I'm going to ask you this question, and I know you're a little bias. Um, the pre- former president Barack Obama was in Virginia over the weekend, saying that um, uh, this education issue, parents getting upset about education, this is a manufactured issue. Uh, I think you have a different perspective. I think education is an important issue, and it is a vital issue to the future of our country. It is critical. Uh, to our our country. I always say it really doesn't matter where a person comes from. They get a good education, they write their own ticket. But it also has a lot to do with uh, uh, particularly a young person's uh, perception of themselves as they're developing that self-perception. A lot of it has to do with the way that they are educated. And to say that this is just a cooked up issue, uh, obviously is uh, catering to people who don't think for themselves which I think that number is decreasing quite significantly, very rapidly. So they better come up with something else. Education is so critical. As you talked about your your self-identity and, and your future and what you think you can accomplish. I mean, under critical race theory, which is something you've been very critical of, uh, because it, it says, you know, if you're of what if you're white, you are an oppressor. If you're black or another minority, you're the oppressed and therefore your future is limited. I mean, it, it really in many ways prescribes a, a dire future for America. Exactly. I mean, how, did, how does that in any way improve the situation? by telling one group of people that they're oppressors and another group of people that they're oppressed. How is that supposed to help? 
That's ridiculous. And then you have the 1619 Project that tries to orient everything around slavery, and that's why white people are bad, because their ancestors owned slaves. Of course, it doesn't tell you that the vast majority of white people in the South did not own slaves, because they couldn't afford to have slaves. That's only rich people had slaves. Um, and it doesn't tell you uh, where the slaves came from. Uh, the slaves came because in Africa there would be tribal wars and they would uh, kill or capture uh, enemies and uh, make them into slaves. And then along came the Portuguese and said, hey, we'll buy those from you. And uh, so all of a sudden they saw a nice source of income. Uh, so, I mean, there's plenty of, of, of guilt to go around. And also rec recognize that slavery has been a part of human civilization since there's been written history. And there are more slaves in the world today than there have ever been. There are more in the United States than there were in 1863 when the Emancipation Proclamation was put forth. And we need to be concerned about the sex trafficking and the slavery that exists today. Uh, we don't have to go back 100, 200, 300 years. We need to deal with what's going on here today. I mean, obviously, history is important. I mean, we, we, we want to know our history. We need to know our history. We need to know the mistakes we made. We need to know what we did right, what we did wrong. But that's not the angle that we see this, that we see this uh, critical race theory and others coming at our history. It's as if they want to lock us into the past so that our future is determined by this negative view of our past. I mean, we've got to press on uh, to a better future, recognizing our mistakes, but not burdening and, and, and using this past to describe and to essentially constrain America going forward. Exactly correct. And, you know, our history, as I've said before, gives us our identity, and our identity gives us our beliefs. Smart people learn from their history. People who are less than smart try to bury or change their history. Uh, obviously, if we don't want to repeat some mistakes that were made in the past, we need to know what those mistakes are. Well, and that's the reason we do need to study our history. Let's talk about the Biden administration and their approach to education. Not only are we seeing this promotion of the critical race theory, but we're seeing this preoccupation really with gender confusion and these, uh, you know, the bathroom policies that we've seen uh, in Loudoun County, which you were there last month uh, in uh, Leesburg, where we, we've actually seen assaults in the school bathrooms as a result of this crazy policy. How come we don't follow the science when it comes to, uh, you know, boys and girls in bathrooms? And, and I would even throw in uh, at this administration vaccinations. I mean, is this you know, like... Science goes out the window when it's inconvenient to your political agenda. Of course. And, and sports, too. You know, having boys who all of a sudden feel like a girl playing girl sports, but they still have uh, the physical attributes of a boy. Uh, how is that fair in any way? Uh, we don't think about those things, unfortunately. And, you know, the transgender issue, you know, how that's really child abuse. We are foisting upon little children questions like, do you feel like a girl or do you feel like a boy? You know, childhood is a time when you're supposed to be having fun. You're growing up, you're enjoying the environment, you're learning about the environment, not trying to figure out if you're a girl or boy. We already know whether you're a girl or boy. That's been biologically determined. 
and uh, it's just introducing another factor of confusion into their lives. Pretty soon you're going to be asking them, well, are you really even a human being or are you a tree? I mean, come on, give me a break. We, we, at some point, we have to start using our brains. So are you encouraged, Dr. Carson, by what you see happening with parents across the country engaging in public education now? I think that it's one of the, the most wonderful things that's happening right now. Uh, recognize that the founders of our nation fully understood that our system, our democratic republic, would be challenged. And there would be others want, who, who wanted to fundamentally change us into something else. And uh, when Benjamin Franklin came out of the Constitutional Convention in 1787, a woman said, sir, what do we have? A monarchy or a republic? And he said, a republic if you can keep it. It was an experiment. Could you actually have a country that was based on the will of the people? Or like every place else, where you're just going to have a, a dominating government that, that, that took control of your lives? And that's why our founders spent so much time formulating our Constitution. It was to give the people, we the people, the tools that they needed in order to maintain their freedom. Because governments are governments. They all do the same thing. It's not that the people in government are evil people, but it is a natural tendency for government to grow, to infiltrate, and to try to control. And our Constitution was there to keep it from taking over. Uh, Dr. Carson, before we run out of time, I want to get your thoughts on the Biden administration's plan to get uh, COVID shots uh, for all the tots, ages 5 to 11. The president's uh, chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, told ABC's uh, George Stephanopoulos over the weekend that the FDA and their advisory committee will be meeting next week on the 26th, and then uh, their regulatory decision will be handed over to the CDC, likely November 2nd or 3rd. So it's possible, if not very likely, that shots will be available for children from uh, ages 5 to 11 within the first week or two of November. We've not heard the M word yet, the mandate, but I'm sure it probably will come. Uh, are, are you, do you have any concerns about this? Uh, I certainly have major concerns about that. Uh, first of all, children are not impacted by COVID anywhere near as much as elderly people who have comorbidities. They're in two completely different categories when it comes to the risk of disease. So typically in scientific endeavors, we like to look at the benefits versus the risk. The benefits are much greater for elderly people with comorbidities than they are for young, healthy people. And in fact, uh, the mortality rate for young, healthy people is 0.025. That's a very low mortality rate. That's similar to what it is for seasonal flu. And we don't do all these things every, every year for seasonal flu. So why would we be doing it in this situation, particularly given the fact that, you know, we're frightening people. Uh, we're making little kids wear masks so that they can't see facial expressions and correlate those with what people are saying. That's a significant sociological detriment. Uh, we're not thinking about how it impacts pronunciation, speech, all these things. And I, I think we at some point need to just pull back a little bit and, and maybe do some things that's logical and recognize that one size does not fit all. And the reason that we, we have an excellent medical profession here in this country, 
people should work with their medical professionals to determine what their individual status is and whether they need it. To have government sitting there mandating this is just opening the door for other kinds of mandates that have nothing to do with this. And I think to some point, they just want to see how much can they tolerate? How far can you actually push people? How far can you control them? And I think they're about to find out that it's not as far as they think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Dr. Carson, we're, we're out of time, but very quickly, another point that you made about how we're scaring children, saying that they can be carriers of the virus and that they can kill their grandparents and others. And I mean, you know, if you think, you know, you said old people die. It's just a, it's a fact of life. But we're burdening kids with many times thinking, well, maybe you're responsible for this. Yeah, well, of course, some of them will think that if, if you're going around telling them, Oh, be careful. You can't be around your grandpa. You can't be around your grandma because you may kill them, even though you don't feel the result, the effects of the disease itself. Uh, What kind of damage could that do to people? You know, when we're talking about benefits and risks, we need to look at all of these things. We can't just have blinders on and look at one thing and uh, and make decisions that we try to foist on everybody on the basis of that. This this is not science at all. No, very very insightful. Dr. Carson, always great to talk with you. We're going to encourage people to get uh, a copy of Why America Matters. Great Christmas present for your children and grandchildren. We encourage people to get that uh, when it comes And go online and look at the learning program also, littlepatriotslearning.com. You'll love it. Dr. Carson, thanks for being with us. And, folks, thank you for being with us as well. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 